I guess I'm on. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, scripture reading tonight is uh, Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. And you can find that in your Pew Bible. Um, it's on page 1030. So tonight we're going to look at the last of Jesus' letters to the seven churches that we find here in the early chapters of Revelation. Um, it's been Jesus' pattern as he addresses each church, and these were real churches, by the way, that he was writing to um, in the first century. And it was his pattern to establish who he is and to say, this is, this is Jesus, Here's who I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Savior of the world. And then he, he proceeds to, t to tell the churches uh, commendations and encouragements, uh, but also some uh, criticisms. Um, and tonight, in the seventh church that's addressed, the church in Laodicea, Jesus does not have anything positive to say at all. In fact, we find one of the sternest warnings in any of the letters. In fact, I would say one of the sternest warnings anywhere in Scripture. Along with it, however, we find Jesus himself giving us a key to how to get right with him, how to know him, have a, how to have a meaningful life how to have peace, how to have energy for God. And it's all here in our passage tonight, so let's look at it together. So this is Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so tonight I'd like to break our 
uh, the teaching into three segments tonight. The condition of this particular church, the condition, the cause of that condition, and the cure for the condition. So let's begin with the, with the condition. So let's look at verse 15 and 16 together. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if this is a big problem for uh, northerners, but if you've ever sat on a beach uh, down, down south in Georgia or Florida maybe, and you're sitting there sweltering because it's 110 degrees and there's not a breeze in the air and it's humid and horrible, and, um, and you decide, I'm going to get up and go for, for a swim and cool off, and it's going to be refreshing, and I just can't wait. And you get up off your towel and it sticks to your back and you pull it off and, and then you go and hit the water. But the problem is the water is actually the same temperature as the air. It's just wetter. Not a whole lot wetter either, actually. And so you get in the water and, and you get out of the water and you, there was no use. There was no, it didn't work. And when we see Jesus here referring to um, hot and cold, I wish you were hot and cold, your deeds, the way you live, I wish it was, I wish it was hot or cold. Hot things are useful. Cold things are useful. Hot water, you can cook with it. You can clean with it. You can do things with it. Cold water, you can drink it and be refreshed, or you can jump in a pool of it. Um, but lukewarm water is not useful. And you see what was happening is this church was drifting away from Jesus and into a life with no ultimate purpose. Because we, we, we don't want to misunderstand. These were, these, this is a church. These were people going to church services. They were probably very decent people, probably very ordinary church-going folks. But they had strayed from Christ. And their lives were no longer serving his purpose. And they had lost their passion and their love and their energy for God. And they become mediocre. Um, Jesus treats this very seriously. If we look at the tail end of at verse 16, it's, it's just startling. It's just, I don't know how it hits you when you read this verse. Um, but Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold. And because you're not, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're on a trajectory you're on a trajectory that leads to us breaking up. You're on a path that if you don't change course, then I'm going to have to spit you out of my mouth. Now, you may ask, why is this such a big problem that Jesus is so over the top with this warning? What is, what is the big issue? And I think... If we look at the cause of this lukewarmness, we're going to see that, we're going to see why Jesus warns so sternly. Um, you know, all along here, in all the letters where Jesus is warning his people, we have to keep in mind that he bled and died 
for these people. He loves these people. This, this is not, Jesus is not taking a stick and saying, oh, you did that wrong, whack. You know, it, it is, Jesus loves this church. As we're going to see in a little bit, he comes right out and says it. Okay, look with me in verse 17. This is the cause, the underlying cause of why this church had become lukewarm. And this is the much more serious issue I think we're going to see. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So what Jesus is saying is you've drifted off into this lukewarm, mediocre life because you're not realizing, you're not knowing You're not accepting, you're not embracing, you're not believing that you are spiritually bankrupt apart from me. When you wander away from me, you've got nothing. You're bankrupt. And, you know, this is a major line in the sand. This is the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. When we, when we wander away from Jesus and begin to put our confidence in our right standing with God in something other than him. I think I would go so far as to say that not realizing, not properly diagnosing ourselves that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked is the root cause of falling away from Jesus in many different ways. Um, Now, I want to take one second, because you may be saying, um, are we really that bad off? Are we really wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked? That is strong language. And I just want to take one, one... side note here, and I just want to say that the Bible's answer is yes, and and here's why. The magnitude of the crime is determined by the stature of the offended party. Okay, just hang with me just for one second on this. The magnitude of the crime is determined by the stature of the offended party. In other words, My children will all be smiling at this because I say this once a month in in my house. If you slap your brother in the face, there's going to be a consequence from that, at least if you have parents who are paying attention. If you slap your teacher in the face, there's a whole different level of consequence for that. Same action. If you slap the President of the United States in the face, if you happen to break through and get up to him, guess what? You're gone. We're never going to see you again. You're going to go to wherever people go where, you know, you don't know. They're just gone. They, they're in, you did it to the president jail. Um, and can you see that the stature of the offended party determines the, the value of the crime? And mankind has slapped the infinite God of the universe in the face by our sinning. 
And this means that there's a debt that we cannot pay. There is a debt that only Jesus can pay ever. And by ever I mean not that you accept that one time and then once you, once you accept it on those grounds, then you go out and become a good person and start working it out for yourself. Jesus is always the grounds for our right standing with God and not realizing, that's why this verse is a little tricky because it says, oh, these, Laodice, these, La, these La, Laodiceans, they're not realizing that they are wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind, and naked. No. What I want to tell you is all of us apart from Christ are that. That is not just for Laodice, Laodiceans. Now, when we get confronted with this truth, I think there's a firestorm of reactions that go off in our hearts, okay? There's disbelief. Well, guess what, God? I'm just going to unfriend you then because that's, that's a horrible thing to say about a person, okay, that I'm that bad off. There's denial. Well, that's other people, but not me. There's distraction. La, 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 la. I'm just, that's a, I can't deal with that. I'm just going to play video games and watch TV and binge watch and not worry about it till later. There's deflection where we blame, it's not my fault, someone else is responsible. There's dilution and there's delusion where we tell ourselves a tr- that reality is this way when Jesus is saying it's that way. And that brings us back around to the, Laodice- the Laodiceans. Why am I having a hard time saying that? Laodiceans. Because we see that they were telling themselves a false reality about their security. You see how they say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You know, success is a threat to our rightly rightly understanding that where we stand with God We're completely dependent on Jesus. Because when we experience success, things are good, and we feel like, oh, things are okay. Maybe I don't need Jesus so much. And it can come in all sorts of forms, right? Vocationally or academically or or even morally. So when people become believers, right, God starts working on their heart. And then they start getting a better life and God starts working on them and as soon as their life starts to get better all of a sudden they're like well maybe I'm not so pitiable and poor and wretched anymore right or if you become a PhD or if you or if things are just good in your life then you say I'm not pitiable and poor and naked and wretched I'm awesome and that is, that is a threat to us not realizing that apart from Christ, we're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. You know, Jesus said, those who are forgiven much love much. And that's why this concept is critically important. It is a bedrock. It is a key to the Christian life to 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 understand our position before a holy God. 
apart from Christ. Jesus said, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. And what he means by that is if you perceive that you're in pretty good shape and you're a decent person, especially compared to this guy, and yeah, you need help, you need some forgiveness, but you're not wretched and poor and naked and blind, then when Jesus comes with his grace, it's grace with a lowercase g, and it cannot become the engine and fuel that you need to live a life of love and energy for God. Because grace is small grace, because you only need small grace. So, you know, this sounds, it's a hard thing to hear for someone to stand up here and say, you know what, I'm sorry, but all of you are wretched and poor and pitiable, okay? But the flip side of that coin is when we embrace that, and then Jesus comes with his message that he's about to come, the cure, it is so beautiful, it is so wonderful, it is life-changing. So long as grace remains with a capital G. Okay, so that's the cause. So now I'd like to talk about the cure. Look with me at verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So the first step in the cure is that we confess to God that we are spiritually bankrupt. You know, if you, if you, if you hear this passage and you're like me and you say, wow, um, I'm, I'm lukewarm. Oftentimes I'm lukewarm. I'm, I'm, I'm mediocre. Am I living a zealous, energy-filled life for God where I'm willing to lay it down because of what he's done for me in Jesus? Well, you know, I fail that test. And right here we have Jesus saying an interesting thing. The first part of the cure is not to go out there and do better and try harder. The first part of the cure is, okay, so you're not zealous like you ought to be. Well, how about be zealous about this? Be zealous to tell me that you're not zealous. Be zealous to own that. Be zealous to come to me and confess that to me. Be, be, have energy so you don't have energy for all these things that you should. Well, how about have some energy to come and just own the fact that you need me. You need me. You need my resources, my riches. You need my, my white, perfect clothing. You need my medicine. You're sick. You know, there was a great uh, preacher that said, um, all you need is nothing, 
but so few people have it. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. All you need is nothing to come to God. Nothing. But so few people have it. Because we have in our hands the things that we are, are saying, no, I'm not poor and pitiable. I'm at least this. You want to talk poor and pitiable, I'll show you someone. Okay? The first part of the cure is that we confess to God that we are spiritually bankrupt. You know, it's, it's important to note here that Jesus is literally telling us that he loves us. Do you see that? Don't miss that. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I bring this message to. I love you. I'm on your side. I'm trying to help you. Wake up. Trusting in yourself is totally insane. Trusting in yourself to save yourself in any percentage is totally insane before a holy God that created the entire universe and then told us just how bad the problem is by sending his own son who had to hang on a cross and be mocked and bleed to death. Can we feel the offense when we come and add something to that and detract from the poor and pitiable? We mustn't. Let's move on to verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You know, I just love this. You know what I love about this? The second confession is done. The second we just move past the verse that said, confess, repent. As soon as we turn and say, you know what? You're right. I do need you. I'm a hopeless sinner. I need you. What does Jesus say? I'm right at the door, ready to come in. If you hear my voice, if you turn and repent, I will come in and I will eat with you. And you will eat with me. And we will have intimacy, real intimacy, experiential relationship. Not oh, I know I don't want to go to hell, and I, I, okay, I'll accept this, and okay, I've done that, and now I have that. What Jesus is after and what Jesus is offering is so much more. And in fact, we have to have it. We have to have all of him or none of him. And I think that's part of the gist of this passage. It's, it's either all in with him, or I'm sorry, but I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because... I want to come in and have a real, vital, living relationship with you. I'm at the door. All you have to do is acknowledge that you need me and we can get this, we can get this ball rolling. We can, we can get this relationship going. And then when he comes in and you're on your knees and your tears are dripping and you're saying, you know what, I do need you. I am wretched and poor because of my sin. Then he floods you with affirmation, forgiveness, love, grace. Some of us here have tasted that. For real. There's nothing like it. 
It's, it's pull the car over on the side of the road and for 10 minutes just sob. That's what it is. It is... When you have that, that is the energy to combat a lukewarm, mediocre, live-for-ultimately-nothing life. Because now, Jesus is giving you what you don't deserve in measures that are almost unthinkable, and you're just so thankful. It's almost too good to believe. And then he says, here's, what, here's, here's my job for you. I want you to come alongside, and I want you to pour this grace back out on other people. I want you to live a life where you're going out and, sh- and, and, and loving people in my name. And I'll tell you, that is a life of meaning, and that's a useful life. Lastly, um, because it doesn't stop there, um, if we look at verse 21, Jesus says, The one who conquers or the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And we don't have time to dig into that other than I just want to say that a component of what Jesus would bring into your life is a hope for a future that is beyond, well, well, let me read you this. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, for those who receive Jesus and they love Jesus, and God has prepared an, a, 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 an unimaginable future of contentment and joy and happiness for those that will turn to him and love him. Well, I'd like to close by saying that this, what's described here and what Jesus is prescribing here is not a one-time, it's not a one-off. It's an everyday off, if I can say it horribly. It is a pattern of life. It is because... When Jesus, when God comes into your life, the first time God comes into your life, he says, I'm God. And you are poor and wretched and need me. And you need a savior. And you say, yes. And you do a turn and invite him in. Well, after that, what happens is God's light continues to shine in your heart. He continues to show you your need. You don't ev- we don't ever in this life grow beyond our need. In fact, the need, the estimation of what it's going to take to save us in the life of a healthy Christian, in the heart of a healthy Christian, it grows. It grows. It's the opposite of getting arrogant or get, it's the opposite of getting puffed up. Well, I'm a Christian now and I've been at this five years and I'm a much better person than I was before and so actually I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, it's not that at all. It's God in your heart saying, okay, yes, you know, good job, you know, we got over this. But look at this, bam. 
and it's like, oh, I'm a horrible, judging, selfish person. He's like, yes, that's why I had to die. You know, and then that gets a little better, and the next thing you know, God's going to open another door in your room, in your house. And but you know what? That engine of grace that keeps chugging then, because then you go to God and say, oh, I need you more than I ever thought I did. Thank God for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And grace grows. That's how grace grows. This is, this is not, I stand at the door and knock, you let me in on January 21st, you know, 1994, and we're done. This is every day. And there's, a, there's an engine component to it. Okay, one last thought and, uh, and I'll close here. Wherever you are tonight, I, if not realizing and admitting your spiritual poverty has been a barrier to a vibrant relationship with God, I just hope that you will consider going to Jesus and confessing that to him. You know, maybe, you know, maybe even tonight when you get home. Um, you know, he stands at the door ready to come in and forgive and love and restore and flood your heart with grace. And he can give you a hope worth living for and he can give you a hope worth dying for. So let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we, we pray that you would be at work in each one of our hearts, whether we're um, an unbeliever here tonight or wrestling or a backslidden believer or a faithful believer. I pray for all of us that you would... Help us to see reality clearly and help us to not drift away from acknowledging our need for you every day. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to confess and come to you and repent. And I pray that when we do, Father, that you would pour out your blessings on us and make us know that we're your children and give us peace and joy and comfort and make us useful. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus and we're thankful for the time uh, that you gave us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.